Howdy, friends. This is Annie Fonte, and you are listening to the Badass Soul Seeking Warrior podcast. On each episode, I chat with a different guest and ask them to share their stories about what they were doing before they decided to redesign their life, what they're doing now, and how they navigated through the challenges and events in their life to get to where they are today. What realizations and transformations did they experience? What fears did they overcome? And ultimately, how did they create a life that they love? Hello, everyone. I'm really excited to introduce my guest to you today. His name is Cameron Campbell, affectionately known as Coach Cam. He is a servant, sports enthusiast, and social entrepreneur who has spoken more than a thousand times for various sports and philanthropic organizations, including the National Football League, the National Basketball Association, and Major League Baseball. He is a former Division I football athlete and graduate of the University of Houston, who transformed his passion for sports into a career serving students as an athletic director and head coach, where he was recognized as the all-time winningest coach. He is currently empowering others as a business consultant and owner of Texas Athletics Construction, and will be releasing his highly anticipated online course, Win the First Quarter of Your Day, Playbook for Wealth, Health, and Success. Coach Cam, welcome. Thank you for carving out some time for us today. Thank you for having me. Well, I want to get to the course that you've created. And first, I want to have a little bit of a conversation. The whole reason I do these podcasts is to add value to people's lives and to help them maybe get through a rough patch or to refocus or pivot in their life so they can get on this really thoughtful and um, intentional path of creating a life that they love. And so for us to start, before we get to your course and what that's about and what people can expect from that, let's spend some time and peel back the layers of self-discovery. And I'm guessing that somewhere along the line, you went through a transformation where you maybe went through a personal um, trauma or challenge that helped you kind of want to serve others and help athletes, particularly, it looks like in my research of you, kids. So can we talk about that a little bit? Can you kind of get a start us on how that started for you? Sure. So, I mean, you, you're spot on. You know, I think most times change in our life comes from from either bumping our heads or bumping our butts. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so that, that bump on the head came for me um, about five or six years ago. Uh, was having a ton of success coaching and, and was in the process of transitioning out of coaching into entrepreneurship full time. And, you know, one of the things that you said a few moments ago is, is right. And, and this was what I call like my abyss. Um, I was having a lot of success in coaching and, you know, the challenge that I think I faced, I can say from a reflective perspective is I was beginning to drink the Kool-Aid that people were pouring me. Um, and that was a moment that I began to stop learning. Um, as, as a coach, as a point of reference, I, I was a head coach athletic director here in Houston. Um, and, you know, being a head coach in Texas is everything that we stereotype it to be, right? And so depending on the city or small town, you know, right under the sheriff and the mayor is a head coach. And depending on the city and town, the head coach could be first, right? So, um, you know, I began to, I think, consume the false niceties that people were portraying on me 
not understanding that 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 the distraction of that is you know one of the one of the labors of success and so as i began to kind of you know bump my head and rediscover myself you know i had this saying that you know i don't like to lose but i won't get beat the same way twice and as i began to re rebuild myself i had to remind myself like who i am and i'm a curious person i'm a servant um i'm a learner i'm a giver and as i began to rebuild myself from you know from what i call my abyss you know that's that was square one and that was the most important place for me to to begin let's talk about this drinking the kool-aid because i know you're not the only one who's experienced this and i would like you to drill down on that a little bit can you give us a specific either conversation or situation that kind of was that light bulb moment where you discovered that oh my gosh um we have we, houston we have a problem Houston, we have a problem. I, that, that may have been the best place to, <laughs> and best right. time used for that one. So, so uh, the school I coached at was very, very academic. And, um, you know, we were able to come in and put a lightning bolt of success from an athletic perspective relatively quickly. And so um, I was the youngest head coach in the city by about five years. I was the youngest athletic director by at least 15 years and in, in taking over or really encompassing a true athletic culture in a school is infectious and so you know there was no athletic energy in the fall there was no homecoming energy there was you know just all these things that kind of make academia and athletics marry together in, in our culture you know the school was void of half of that and so you know there was an instant shot of of bringing the athletic piece, you know, through the hallway that was infectious, but then also you take the winning that came with it. Um, and then I think the, the point for me that I can reflect back now and say this was a tipping point was a couple of years in when you begin to be courted by other schools and other programs and private schools and you know, there are a handful of, you know, like in most major cities, very prestigious private schools who you know, bring you around and you've got the, the red trophy blazer on the wall. And, you know, it, it, it does become quite attractive. The success that you have, um, you know, one of the byproducts of success is wanted and unwanted attention. And, you know, I'm, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just a, a good old Texas boy and I kind of keep my head down at work. But, you know, I did catch myself, you know, picking my head up to sniff the flowers and enjoy how well they smelt. Um, and I think that was the beginning of, uh, you know, a distraction from essentially what I understood I was there to do. So I was there to uh, change a culture, to provide kids with opportunities to learn on an athletic playing field and win a bunch of games. You know, win a bunch of games is a relative thing, you know, compared to, you know, the schedule and, and the strength of your program. But before you know it, you know, the, the distractions of, of the, the ancillary things around the success began to distract me, you know, if I'm being honest about it. Okay. And was, was that the period of time when you decided you wanted to transition away from coaching and become more entrepreneurial? So I've always had the entrepreneurial bug. I think that, you know, one of, the, one of my really big challenges that I want to fix in our culture is, you know, bits and pieces of the broken educational system. You know, 
our educational system doesn't work to create the next Steve Jobs. It, it works to create people who work for Apple. And so I, you know, I, I squelched for years what I knew was inside of me. Like I started my first hustle at nine years old, like cutting, you know, tying a lawnmower to the back of my bicycle and cutting grass. And so I've always had that kind of entrepreneurial thing. And so, you know, my transition from coaching, um, you know, was was relatively unceremonious. And so uh, a school leader called me in and, you know, said, hey, we're doing a great job. We love the coach that you built here, but we found ourselves being more athletic than we care to be. And so we're actually going to move the athletic director position, you know, kind of away from you into a counselor and the council will kind of take care of the extracurriculars kind of, we're going to go more in the extracurricular space, less like interscholastic. And so you can stay in coach if you want, like we appreciate what you've done for the school, but you know, we're going to add like lunch duty to your plate. And, you know, I was like, yeah, you didn't bring me here to blow a whistle during lunch, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, so it was a space for me to say like, okay, like you can accept uh, what's been handed to you or, you know, you can, again, like redesign yourself, better yourself and really just uh, drive in the direction that you know that you're supposed to be and understand that this is a beautiful stopping in life. I never planned on being, you know, a head coach or even coaching, you know, I, I do enjoy youth. I do enjoy sports. And so, you know, there's a big difference between coaching flag at the YMCA and, and being a professional coach. Um, so I did, I did enjoy my stint, but I think that one of the, you know, one for anybody listening, one of the biggest nuggets from that experience to me is, you know, what you do doesn't define who you are. And there's times when, if you can take a step back and be introspective that coaching for me checked a number of those boxes, but I in coaching checked off more boxes and understood like, yes, there's a whole, you know, I'm playing it small. I could have, you know, gotten another coaching job the next day, like as a coordinator or maybe a head coaching job the next season. But, you know, sometimes you have to trade in to trade up. And so that's what I decided to do when I transitioned out of coaching. One of the lines in the sand that I have in the online course that I teach is view every experience as a gift. And it sounds to me like you had the wherewithal in that moment where you had this, this event happen to you, where you chose to look at what is the gift in this to help you step up to what was next for you. So what was next? You decided that you didn't want to be part of the program that they had kind of re organized at, at, at the uh, place where you were, what did you do next when you stepped away from so that? What I, so what I did next was struggle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And this um, is good. I, I want Coach Cam, I want the listeners to really take that in because oftentimes I think there's folks out there, especially younger folks, that think, oh, I'll just come up with this great idea and over I'll be an overnight success. I can tell you personally, I have at least four 12 year overnight successes under my belt. <laughs> my overnights took 10, 12 years. So you struggled right out of the gate. So let's talk about that. I struggled right out of the gate and a part of what I call like my life redesigning or like establishing my life architecture was again. So I, I bumped my head when I transitioned out of coaching, I bumped my butt when I landed out of coaching. And so, you know, what I, what I realized was 
how inadequate my financial IQ was. And so um, while I didn't expect to have this card handed to me in life, look again, looking back now, and a big part of it is like willing to be introspective and willing to like sit in the pain of the moment, right? And stop trying to find an instant band-aid. So again, I could have, you know, left that office on Friday and again, started coaching that next Monday at a minimum, right? But, but you know, deciding like, this is a slide in, in my life that I can sit in and continue to slide, or I can like sit in and like put a Band-Aid on, but putting that Band-Aid on won't allow me to, sometimes you have to get to rock bottom, right? To like rebuild yourself. And so um, to answer your question, you know, so you're handed this pivot in your life and you, you kind of recheck yourself and make sure you're okay, dust yourself off. And, you know, part of that's kind of looking at your finances, your financial situation. And I looked at mine and said, oh, oh, <laughs> this, this isn't good. And so um, I had to identify or, or acknowledge the fact that I had a very low financial IQ that like anything else in life, if you, you know, if your intelligence or decision-making isn't strong in the area, you probably also make bad choices. And, you know, again, like the, the idea isn't to pave over it. The idea is to sit in it, learn from it, build from it, and then redesign yourself to do better. And so, you know, like you said, I mean, you could have said it better, like rebuilding yourself is a brick by brick, day by day, year by year process. Um, but in, in the, you know, in hindsight, I'm so thankful for it, but, you know, it, it was painful. Um, it, it took me to the depth of uh, self-reflection and self-reckoning. Um, and, you know, it forced me to ask myself a lot of difficult conversations and questions in the moment. And so as you sat with that and reflected on it, what were the inspired actions you took to step-by-step step start to climb out of that situation you found yourself in? The first, the first step was acknowledging the fact that um, I was there and I put myself there. The second step was, and this is for, for younger listeners, um, I hate to bust a bubble, like nobody's coming to save you. Like nobody's coming to save Coach Cam, right? And so, you know, we'll, we'll grace all in, and step in and provide like a footstool? Yes. Will opportunity come in and provide a footstool? Yes. Will God provide mercy? And, you know, I mean, yes, right? So so there will be like st steps of covering during rain, but there's no magic umbrella to save you during this storm, right? And so it's your job to decide to divide and build like your umbrella. And so uh, the, 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 the small step of relief for me was provided by a colleague that had played in the, in the NBA for a number of years. And we had just a mutual relationship of work we do together in the community. And he, he runs like a celebrity basketball camp. And, you know, Houston's a very big city. And so the camp is 45 miles from my home, right? And so like it, it's, it's in, you know, Houston Metro, but just a shot, right? And so this is as a point of reference, even flashing back telling this story is like, this is when you check your gas, 
you know, gauge every 15 minutes to see how long you can make that gas stretch, right? So it's like, okay, like, I, I guess I'll go work this camp. I mean, hope we get paid soon because I'm going to need some gas Friday, right? And so, um, you know, those 45-minute or really hour commutes, you know, to, to this camp and away from this camp gave me so much time and, and my the voice in my head was racing so much and was so loud and was so noisy um and at that time i got another kind of just like relief point um indirectly and somebody re referenced a book to me uh, um i think it's called the secrets of the millionaire mind right and so it's a book by t harv eckler and um you know the book is a bit hokey i will say that but the meat and potatoes of it is people who have resources capital and he talks about like rich versus poor and i'm not a big fan of like rich versus poor i think that's a very subjective kind of you know menial way to look at it but what he's saying is people who have see life this way people who don't have see life this way right and you know the more he spoke of people who have seeing life it it, it was attractive to me and but i could also see the people who had success and again not just financial success but quality of life success relationships with faith, relationship with family, you know, a life that you would want to archetype yours after had these things. And there are one or two that may be traits I possessed, but there are several over here where it's like, you know, the biggest one for me was, uh, and again, you know, taking rich versus poor out of it, right? But like the rich see problems and acknowledge them for what they are. The poor see problems and their problems are always bigger than them. Yeah. And that one for me was just a kick in the pants. And so, you know, you talk about the, the, the hitting your head and hitting your butt. That was one where, you know, your situation is absolutely under your control. And so, again, like coupling that with poor financial habits and then, you know, exiting a job, you don't have to pay your gas bill when they send the pink notice. Right. There's, there's no reason to wait for, you know, again, if you've got, you know, you know, money in your family operational budget, like just the financial responsibility of being ahead of the curve for, you know, occurrences and, and, and re revolving debt is just it's a mindset shift. Right. So if, if you know that your gas bill is on average fifty dollars a month and you've got it marked out in your operation or first off, having a budget, not there just saying, go. OK, That's on the right. back of a napkin. Right. And so as, if I'm being transparent and honest with myself, if you know that your gas bill is 50 bucks a month on average, pay your bill, dude. Like don't wait for them to knock you two and three times and then threaten you with a $5 fee and then ding your credit just to get you to pay a bill when you have the $50 in your pockets, you know, in the first place. And so just reshifting the way I thought and, um, and where, where that comes full circle as an entrepreneur. And I think that, one of the biggest things that I learned working in the NFL is uh, the moment that you can see your your surroundings as non-assets is a moment that you become professional. So the first time you're working in marketing and you go into the marketing closet and there's sweaters and hoodies and caps and autograph balls. And, I mean, all this cool stuff, right? I mean, this stuff is cool. I'm not going to sound like it's not cool, but you know, the first time you go in and it's like, uh, let me grab an extra, right? So just the temptation of like seeing this thing as, uh, as an asset versus seeing it as a tool. 
And so, you know, where that conversation of paying the gas bill comes full circle, as an entrepreneur, when you send the invoice out or, you know, you're sending out to accounts payable, like you expect the people to pay when they're set to pay. And it's just, uh, it's a maturation of taking like a non-consumerism mindset of, oh, they've got it. They've got 50,000 customers across the city. So if I pay mine a week late, well, if everybody paid theirs a week late, they'd be in trouble and, you, you know, they wouldn't be able to provide this service. And so, you know, it took like the maturity of being honest and like kind of standing in the mirror naked and looking at your flaws to decide like, okay, I can fix this one. I can fix this one with the mindset shift. I can fix this one by getting back in the gym. Now, as a point of reference, I was also 310 pounds at wow. the time. Um, not not making good tired diet. I mean, if, if I'm honest, you know, I liked myself. I don't know that I loved myself right. during this time of my life. And I, I liked what people were saying about me. Right. Um, and, you know, and again, like I, I'm not a big, like from that perspective, ego-driven guy. So this is the first time that, you know, I've had successes in my career, as he made reference to, I've just, this was the first time that I stopped to acknowledge and then actually kind of become intoxicated on the distractions that come with success. Yeah, and you you brought up a lot of good points just in that conversation. It's one is our mindset is so important. We can have a winning mindset or a not winning mindset. We can have a healthy mindset when it comes to finances and money, or we can have an unhealthy mindset. And I think that's what you're talking about versus this rich and poor. And when we have that mindset of a champion, I always say this to my team. I, I wanna I wanna walk in this building every day knowing that I'm shoulder to shoulder with world class people and that we're providing world class service. And so that's a mindset. And then that mindset leads us to really create sound cultures and habits for ourselves to live under versus um, having that identity of there's trouble and it always seems to find me somehow. You know, I have more month than money. We get used to that and that becomes very habitual and then we start to behave in ways that are aligned with that. Uh, so if we have the habits and the behaviors that are very aligned with uh, troubles always finding me versus no, that's, that's just a challenge that I get to work through right now. And it sounds like you decided for yourself, you kind of drew that line in the sand for yourself and said, look, this, this, this way of thinking has to change if I'm going to change as a person. I have to take better care of myself. I have to have better thoughts and behaviors around money and finance. I have to have better thoughts and um, uh, behaviors around my identity for myself because I'm guessing at that point in time, the identity that you kind of plugged into yourself is different than it is now. Yes, it, it was. And, you know, <clears throat> I think that the blessing for me, it, it, it's funny because uh, as a consumer, we see it, right? And so, again, if you can look at and watch the natural patterns of life, like, you know, if you've been on the earth long enough, you if you're aware enough, you can catch some of the grooves. So the same way that we enjoy watching, you know, the e-Hollywood story. The same way that we can enjoy watching the drug addicted, you know, actor, right? So, so ironically enough, I go to uh, a half price books, like a used bookstore last week, and I pick up a 1997 People magazine, like annual edition. 
and there's a picture of Robert Downey Jr. in handcuffs, like strung up, like strung on drugs, right? And so the same way that we can enjoy a great actor and then look at his demise, and, but then obviously enjoy, you know, his sobriety and his celebration into the next point of his life, it's the same thing with us, just on a different level. And so, you know, while I wasn't, you know, on a drug bender, right, theoretically in that situation, you know, I had the success, of, you know, that that came with, you know, doing a good job. And I began to get high off of that success. And this was me kind of in, you know, my own proverbial shackles, trying to figure out how to redesign myself. And, you know, for me, again, as a competitor, and I said earlier, like, I don't, I'm not going to get beat the same way twice. That That's a non-starter for me you know, reading that book or listening to that book, it was an audio book at the time. And, you know, that hour commute each way taught me, number one, how much I enjoyed. So it's almost like, let's get to the root of who Cam is. Like, I enjoyed learning. I'm deeply curious. I have, you know, the moment you think you know everything is a moment you stop learning. And so, um, you know, that book led me to take one foot in the sand action that I can say, you know, really propelled me from there. And that action was, can I make one better choice today? And so if I've got this hour drive and I didn't pack a lunch, I've got to spend five to seven bucks. I can go to a grocery store and get some cold cuts and cheese and veggies and or, you know, fruit and kind of cut it up and, and take it on my drive. Or I can go to Wendy's and get six pieces of junk, you know, two burgers, two fries, just make a bad choice. And then, you know, from there, it, it and again, as a competitor, you know, you kind of fall in love with making these good choices. And so then you say, okay, well, I made it through the day. I spent seven bucks for lunch. Well, what if I actually stop by the grocery store on the way home and pack with $7 a lunch? I can have like a really delicious lunch versus, you know, just kind of some cold cuts and cheese, you know, on the way out of, out of the grocery store to this commute. And so it kind of became like, let's make one great choice today, then let's make one more, then one more, then one more. And you kind of start with the low hanging fruit. And then for me, it was the introduction of my diet and then looking at like where my body like physically was. So again, like I, I played, you know, I played at 250, 245, 250. And so, you know, to be plus 55 pounds, and again, I'm not saying, you know, at 19, 20 years old, you're in the best shape of your life. You know, that may not be sustainable. I understand that. But a few years later, to be plus 55, like, that's not who you are. So how do you shed that weight? How do you fall back in love with your physique? How do you fall back in love with making good choices? How do you fall in love with telling yourself no to indulgence? And I think, again, when I was in that abyss, you know, there was no no. And so, you know, I, I enjoy cigars, I enjoy spirits, I enjoy, you know, champagne, vodka, like, like, like the next guy. But, you know, you're coaching basketball and you drink after a win and you drink after a loss and you're playing two games a week. <laughs> you know what I mean? You kind of do the math. And so it's like, well, wait a minute, like, how do you say, like, here's a great place to stop, right? And so let, let me begin to question what my relationship is with everything in my life. Yes. What's the relationship with with spirits to my life. And again, I'm not saying that you, you know, I had a drinking problem or anything like that, but you know, like anything else in life, there is the idea of moderation. What's the idea of, you know, having spirits and then having all the sugary stuff you put in the spirit for it to taste good. And then the stuff you're eating at the bar, you know, before you know it, you, you're, eat, you're consuming 5,000 calories right. easily on a social night. 
so then you take a step back and say, well, what do I want my body to look like? And, and what do I want in my body? So then I began to make that decision of, again, like, if we we're going to do this, let's put rocket fuel in your body. And, and it's a step, it's a process. So then you kind of go from, you know, eating junk to eating better junk to eating not as bad good junk. And then you realize that some of the stuff you thought was good is actually just well-marketed junk, right? <laughs> and then just trying to get back to the source of like, what's going to allow me to live a rocket fuel life? And understand that if I'm going to take junk food in my body, consume it, drink it uh, on TV, reality shows, on my phone, like let's be honest about the junk food you're eating or consuming. So when you do it, you can't be surprised by the outcome. And so, you know, the idea of reading a white paper versus, you know, reading, uh, you know, some, a blog or, you know, a social media scandal page or whatever it may be, like, okay, cool. If you're going to stop and eat junk food, let's be aware of this junk food and say, like, you know what? I'm going to have a cheat meal on my, so on my phone today. I'm going to have a cheat meal on with my TV today. And so, you know, what it began to turn into me was like, this quest of redefining and redesigning the best version of myself. Um, and, you know, I mean, I'm pleased with what I have now, but again, what I have now won't look like what I have next year or the year after that. Yeah. Because you, you want to keep evolving to your highest and best self. Right. So I like what you said about making that one good choice each day, because what that allows people to do, I think is you get to stack that one choice, and then the next day, another choice. And that stacking effect has a, a, a direct correlation to not only your behaviors, but your emotions, how you emotionally feel about yourself and the world that surrounds you, because that matters. At, at, the end, at the end of the day, we're all just this bundle of energy, right? And we're going to attract to us the same energy that we're vibrating at. So making those good choices and layering them on top of one another over time, I'm guessing was what helped you start into your consulting career as well as your ownership of the te Texas Athletics Construction. Tell us about those vocations that you are currently involved in. Yes, yeah, so, <clears throat> so the first thing I'd say with the consulting work is, you know, obviously just by this, you know, half an hour conversation, you know, there's a lot of authenticity that I bring to the table. And I think that as I stepped from, so first off, there is an attraction of like coaching, right? So the idea that I actually was a coach into the consulting space and so many, you know, consultants call themselves coaches and that's a, you know, different conversation, I guess. I, I think that, uh, you know, the term consultant has now turned into coach, which is an evolution. But if you've never had to make a decision on third and one with five seconds left on the clock, there's another level of coaching that yes. comes, right? So if you're going to take this title of coach, like there's a whole nother level to it, right? So like we don't call ourselves as consultants like doctors or, you know, like so respectfully like as a person who's been a coach, uh, I hope not to offend, but, or, you know, you are, are listeners, but the idea of being a coach means I can solve problems in a very, very, very high pressure situation um, with a clear head. And so uh, where I was going with that is, you know, the idea of, you know, being a coach is like the pseudo of my experience as a coach and athletic director, right? So the idea that I have all the answers, I can figure it out, look at my track record, 
And that was a version of Cam that I shared in 2015. And I, I won't let that version come back. And so, you know, with my clients, hey, I've been in this position before, or I've had another client who's been here. I don't have all the answers. I think I know this is what I would do. Or, you know, this is the way that I would suggest moving forward. And here's kind of a track record to show that. But, you know, also the, the transparency and humility to say, you know, I've, I've, never, I've never had to dial a play up. I don't have the answer, right? So I have a best practice. I have an idea. I don't know everything. And I think that, you know, that humility, you know, is what brought, again, like a large amount of success in the consulting space very quickly. It, it, yes, it was compounded by my body work as an actual coach, but it was, you know, the humility of, you know, I don't have the answer. I, I don't know. Um, Texas athletics for me uh, at the time, I'm sure you can relate to this. I thought would be my greatest contribution to my community and, and, and to society. And I think it still can be. I don't, I don't mean that in a disparaging way. In 2017, um, during the Lenten season, and I'm a Christian, I, I, my faith is very important to me. Um, I, I had a very uh, sobering conversation with God. And um, I was in the sports construction space. I have a background in it. I know how to, you know, how to build and sell and, and had a relationship with suppliers and manufacturers. But I also understood that that giving is one of my spiritual gifts. And it's something that gives me so much unequivocal joy, right? And so for those who don't get it, it's fine. But, you know, giving is so rewarding that it's almost like selfishly rewarding. And I, I mean it from a very, you know, well-intending standpoint. And so I'm sitting here with this kind of this struggle of, do I drive my career here and just mash the gas and, and see what empire I can build? Or do I kind of take this school of the poor approach and, you know, like go Northern California, granola pro bono and just, and, and the answer for me was you marry the two things that you have a great skill set in. And so you can build great athletic surfaces and take the capital and the commerce and opportunity from that to then do your community work and then make a deeper impact in the area. Um, so, you know, with that being said, I launched Texas Athletics and, you know, the intent of it, and we still are, you know, a philanthropic machine. And so uh, I started in a residential area and I'd build putting greens and, and batting cages and basketball courts and tennis courts in people's backyards. And I just say like, hey, Kate, I'll tell you what, you know, this, this tennis court's $120,000 in your backyard, but I'll build it for you for 110 if you go write that nonprofit a $10,000 check. Nice. And, you know, that was taking money out of my pocket, yes. Um, I paid my, I got to make sure my bills were covered, but what it did was it provided me the resources to then go do my community work because very, you know, very early on in that work, I realized like it can't, it can't be just me. Like, like we need all of us to fix these fires that are going on all around us. And so I started in, in, in the residential area and, you know, I, I've been blessed by it. I mean, I've been disproportionately blessed. Uh, we were able to break into the commercial area, um, uh, you know, within a year, year and a half, which, which typically, you know, in the contracting space, you know, you've got to pay five years of dues before you can even sniff a commercial, let alone, you know, we began to get school projects. And so, uh, you know, it, it's been, it's been, um, it's been a blessing. And, you know, the one thing I can say from a business perspective, and, and this was, 
this was not the intent, but kind of going back to that low point in my life, this was an added bonus of being consistent and being well intended is, and I didn't even know what this meant at the time, but this business model provided a unique value proposition to my clients. Right. And I didn't know, I didn't know what that was at the time. Just, this is what I want to do. This is my body of work. You've seen the work I've done in our community. Can you help me? Um, but what I didn't realize when you put the other person's shoes on is, hey, I was going to put a tennis court in my backyard anyway. I can partner with this guy and, you know, his price is fair. He has great craftsmanship. Let's go do some good work in the community together. And so, um, you know, that leg up allowed me to kind of springboard and take a step back. And that's really where the reflective part of my life really happened was, you know, being able to build good choice by good choice by good choice gave me a little bit of leeway to take a step back and say, well, you know, instead of, you know, just nose to the paste on every single day, let's take a second and decide, like, how do you build your day? Like, what does the beginning of every day look like? When do you take time to reflect? And, you know, do you journal every day? Do you take notes? Do you read? And um, I could have easily, again, gotten into the rat race of, you know, more and more and more scale, scale, scale. But the idea, I saw this, uh, Abraham Lincoln quote, and he said, if I had eight hours to cut a tree, that I would spend six hours sharpening the blade. And this was about the time that I was beginning to find a lot of, of business success. And I was like, well, wait a minute, like, you know, we can plug in and staff and all that stuff. But like, let's spend some time every day sharpening the blade. So even if we're spending less time striking, less time is required with a sharper blade. I love that. And I'm really enjoying our conversation, by the way. I love that you had the foresightedness to want to make a portion of your proposals to the clients. Hey, I'll put your tennis court in. I'll put your little golf putting green in. And I want to give you the opportunity to give back as well. I'm going to give you this, what you want, but I'm also going to allow you to, to jump on board with me and let's help everyone around us. I, I love that model so much. And, I, you know, you always get 10, 20, 100 times more back when you give. I've found that out in my life. And I think that that's, that's a beautiful example of a business model that really helps not only you and your employees and your team thrive, but so many others in your community thrive, which gets to, I think, what I heard you say is how you set up your, the first part of your day. Let's talk about this online course you've created, Win the First Quarter of Your Day, a Playbook for Wealth, Health, and Success. How did that come about and what can you tell us about it? And I know you're getting ready to offer this to anybody online who wants to take it. So let's, let's kind of um, unpack that a little bit. Yeah, so so we've we've laid in this conversation uh, really the base work of it. So again, this is you know this is not thick and grow rich, married with a four hour work week, married with whatever you know. Although I mean, obviously those are great resources. I'm not not negating those, but this is books and books of journals that I've written over the past five years and reflection and and introspection and adding stoicism and being able to take a step back and just uh, be true to myself, understanding that I am a high tempo, competitive, I like to go type of guy. And so um, the idea was actually birthed uh, almost a year ago. So I wrote my book, Alpha Redefined, 12 Servant Leadership Principles of Legendary Leaders. Um, we're coming up on the one year anniversary. 
and I did a short six city promo tour on it. And, you know, I got asked on all these stops, you, you know, read the book and sign, you know, sign the book. And, and at least one person everywhere would ask me, how do you do so much in one day? And, you know, my answer was always, I win the first quarter of my day. And so again, just, you know, as an athletic guy being true, you know, a true sports analogy, you know, championships are won in the off season. So, yeah. so the idea that LeBron James rolls on the court and, 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 you know, confetti falls or Manny Pacquiao or whatever, you know, Usain Bolt, there's an awesome new Netflix uh, documentary on Usain Bolt and it shows, you know, if you, if it's the 60 minute Netflix story, three minutes of his, is him running. The other 57 is the work required to put in in the off season, the agony of coming off of injury and the agony of coming off of, you know, setbacks and not, not performing at your peak performance. And, you know, again, going back to that Abraham Lincoln quote, you know, the question began to me was you look back and it's like the reward you've been given for being genuine to yourself is a framework. And so I began to offer the book tour infuse that into my coaching and my, my consultancy and say like, Hey, I've got this framework in my life that may be a resource to you. And, you know, as an artist or as a creative, you're sensitive to like, will people be receptive to it? But like, let's try this. Like, let's add this to your firm. Let's add this to your day. And um, I was surprisingly surprised <laughs> by the instant, change of action, change of mindset, change of approach, change of productivity, um, change of purpose that my coaching clients began to see and realize and even, you know, their language and energy as we would have our one-on-ones was just different. Um, and so you kind of faced with this beautiful challenge of, okay, I think I've got something here that can, that can make our ecosystem better. And as a creative, I understand that I have an obligation to give and serve and to, to make amazing work, to serve, to make our ecosystem better. But it's almost like putting out a fire with, you know, with the water hose. And it's like, well, wait a minute, I can't, you know, I physically can't take on X amount of clients or, you know, I don't want to dilute the quality of, of what I've created to be able to be a resource. I owe it to everyone in my ecosystem to be a resource. I've created it how do I get it out? And, you know, the only way that made sense to me was if I can frame it, box it in an online course, I can then get it to everyone who is seeking the best version of themselves. And, you know, I, something you said that I thought was so beautiful at the beginning is, you know, it, it's not for everybody. And so um, if you're, if you're not curious, if you think you know everything, if, if your day-to-day if there's not an itch somewhere that says I should be doing this better or wonder what's more for me or how do I become the best fill in the blank, the best artisan, the best uh, uh, croissant maker at Panera Bread, right? And so the idea isn't, you know, yes, we talk about wealth and wealth accumulation and, and understanding what money is because again, like I was at negative zero in every single one of my accounts a couple of years ago and I began to rebuild and I understand that, you know, capital and money and resources are a liberation tool and so wealth means whatever you choose for it to mean it doesn't mean you know drinking tea with your pointer sticking out you know at a <laughs> castle if that's not what you want it to mean and so you know i do want that if
I do understand that if I'm realistic about life and what life presents us, that there is an honest personal conversation you have to have about financial, uh, personal finance. And so that's what the wealth part of it is. And so, you know, to answer your question, I, I've, I've created a great framework that I'm comfortable sharing with others and understand that it may not be for them, but it just may be. And so let me share this with the world. And if you enjoy it, then, you know, just understand that, as I was alluding to at Texas Athletics, that it's another one of the gifts that I can maybe present to make our world a better place. Great. So I want to know more about, first of all, congratulations on your book, Alpha Redefined, because I too have written a book and I'm working on my second one. And that is certainly not a project or a process for the lighthearted. So good, good, good on you that you did that. I want to... Um, talk to you more about that and we'll, we'll make sure we put it in our show notes for our listeners. So if they want to get a copy of that, they know where to go get their hands on it. Sounds like it's a great read, but let's talk about the course. When will it be available and what's the format? Is it, it's online and how much time in a day or a week or how long would it take for someone to get through it and probably want to go back and repeat it or revisit some of the sections or however it's cordoned off. Give us a little, put a little bit more meat on the bones of what one could expect from participating in this course. Yes, so, so that's, that's a really good question. And so as an educator, I'm sure you can appreciate the term pedagogy. So pedagogy is the science of teaching. And so that's one of the, again, like hidden benefits that I have of, you know, I say jokingly that I'm like, 50 dog years old when it comes to work because I've been working all my life. <laughs> and so one, <laughs> one of the advantages of working in education is I was exposed to the science of how to teach. And so it's a pedagogy curriculum. So there's six modules. Within each module is six plays. And so a play is, is you know, different. It's the same thing as, as, as a, uh, uh, well, most people call a module, I call a, a play. And so within each play, we have what we call our drill down. And so our focal point for the day, then we have our audible. Our audible is if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. This is what may potentially happen. Then we have our R-lit, our R-lit is what we call our real life example and testimonial. Then we have our, our um, indie work. Our indie work is, is the equivalent to what we call homework. Indie work in the, in the football world stands for individual work. And so when you think about your favorite quarterback working on his skill and it's like the actual technique of how to throw a ball, we call that indie work. And so each one of these courses, or each one of these um, um, modules has six uh, plays in it. And then within each play, there's step by step by step by step. And there's homework, there's indie work at the end of every one. And so each, each play is anywhere between four to seven minutes long. Um, but it also gives you space to get your indie work done and then come back to the table the very next day. And so um, a person who is engaged and excited about getting the work done should be able to complete it in 60 days. Um, but understand that those 60 days will be a challenge. And so the idea that I can skip, skip, skip through, get to my homework and then kind of check it off. Well, you know, my background in athletics tells me that that's not how you build championship caliber team. You have to sit in the work. So, you know, some some of the indie work is reflective and you take notes and journal. Some of it is a challenge and, and some of it requires you to have very honest conversations with yourself and, and really challenge, you know, some of the conventional wisdom. Um, I, I was very blessed uh, in writing my book to be able to do character sketches is kind of the, the main premise of the book. 
And I was able to do some actual in-lot interviews with some character sketches and not just reference research. And one of the one of the interviews that I did was uh, David Weekly. David Weekly is a Houston-based home um, home construction home builder. He's actually the largest home builder on the stock market. So he works. He owns a publicly traded company. And so he, he's we're in the meat of this interview, and he's he's giving me challenging frameworks and philosophies that I I at the time am having a hard time wrapping my head around because it's you know, it's deeper in some areas I've ever thought before. And so I challenged him on something. I can't remember what the exact topic was. And he said, well, how's that working out for you? And I said, well, I guess it's not. <laughs> it's a point of reference. And so, you know, what I'd say for, for those interested in the course is, you know, there are some questions. So, so one, of, one of the very beginning um, modules and plays is called Open Your Eyes. And so, you know, the, from the very beginning of the course, you know, I, I challenge people to say, like, when you open your eyes in the morning and you spend time with God or your maker, whatever you believe, you should be calling on one of two things. You should be calling for grace or you should be calling for gratitude. And to me, it depends on, as a person who struggles with anxiety, um, you know, it depends on how I feel when I open my eyes. There's a time when I wake up this morning, for example, I woke up. My back didn't hurt. Um, I stayed up late watching the Monday night game. And so I woke up and I was like, I'm, I've got gratitude today. Like I felt my feet hit the ground and the light hit and I squinted when I was brushing my teeth. And it's like, I'm, I'm grateful for these lights. I'm grateful for this toothbrush. I'm grateful for my family. Um, but then there are other days when you can wake up and you can feel that anxiety like over your shoulder and it's creeping up and closer and closer. And those are days where you're calling for grace you know, keep this anxiety down, you know, again, being a, a small business owner during COVID, the anxiety of managing a team and keep your team afloat. Please give me the grace to be able to lead from the front. Give, give me the grace to be compassionate for those that I serve. And so, you know, that, that's one of the first plays. Another one we talk about, and this is very uh, personal for me um, as a speaker, right? And so you mentioned, you know, a lot of the speaking work that I've done you know, speaking is great. You get to travel, you get to see some amazing things, amazing places. But when you, when you, when you travel, you're leaving the people that you love the most. And you know, like anything in life, it's fun. It, it's exciting at first. There's times when you get up at three o'clock to go catch a five o'clock flight that the last person you want to leave is a person you're laying next to, or, you know, the, the family in the room next over. And so one of the things that I put in the very, you know, first module, open your eyes, is just making a habit to stop by every morning and look at the people you care about in your house. And that gives you such a deep feeling of gratitude when you, you know, to your point, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the process of writing my second book. When you're at the desk and you can't find that mojo and you don't want to do it and you're afraid of, you know, the book your first book has created some buzz. So now you know that there's going to be some critique coming with your second book. And, you know, the fear of doubt of, of, of those things that are real life, you know, why am I, do, why am I writing this book? Well, you're writing this book, not only to share your art with the world, but because, you know, in my case, for example, I want to have something that my family is proud of and can look at me and say that I've made a solid contribution. So, you know, one of the biggest ego checks for me is just spending time, walking my house and being thankful for the people and things that are in it. Um, I think that's, 
you know, a few of the small keys of how you start your day. That's great. I love all this. And I, I, I want to sign up for your course. Um, those were good teasers, but I want, I want another good teaser. And I'm, I'm like you, Coach Cam. I really think that one has to be ready and willing to, quote, do the work, put one foot in front of the other and answer the tough questions and really spend a lot of time in quiet reflection and be honest. I always say it wasn't until I started telling the truth about life that my life changed for the better. And sometimes telling the truth about life, ugh, it's not fun and it's, ugh, it's ugly and it's uncomfortable and all those kinds of things, but it makes a difference. So just as a, an additional teaser here, what's a question that you ask throughout your modules uh, that we can share with our listeners today that they can reflect on that would be valuable and useful for them? What's one of yeah, those tough so, questions? So, you know, a, a really tough question um, that I kind of alluded to earlier is, you know, what is my relationship to this is, <clears throat> I think, a question that while I don't ask it directly in the course, you know, if, if I've done my job in, in challenging and prodding and pushing you to the next level, you should begin to ask yourself. And so, again, you know, in, in a person's first four hours of the day, you begin to ask yourself, what is my relationship to physical fitness? What is my relationship to my body awareness? What is my relationship to, you know, loving myself um, and loving those around me? What's my relationship to that $6 cup of coffee every day? And so, you know, as a person who I drink coffee when it gets cold outside, I'm not an actual coffee drinker, but, you know, I talk about not only when it comes to money and wealth, like what it is, how to grow, how to scale it, but then how to attract it. So, you know, if, if you have the cam gas bill mentality, why are you pissing away $6 at Starbucks every day? Like go get a Keurig for 50 bucks, go get a pack of K-Cups. So maybe you're spending $75, but you're also spending $75 a week <laughs> on, right. on cups of coffee. And so what is my relationship to this 30 minute distraction, which may not feel like 30 minutes, but you know, you leave your house 15 minutes early, you sit in line for 10 minutes and you're five minutes late for work. Like what is my relationship to this distraction? Is this distraction actually a pseudo cover up to make me feel good? And so I understand, you know, what caffeine does for us and I get all that, but you know, what is my need for this cup of coffee? Do, do I need it? Is there can Starbucks make it in a way that nobody else can or, you know, or kind of going back to the dietary thing, do I actually need the caffeine and then the extra 300 calories I can deal without? And so, you know, again, like I don't have that answer. And, and what I'd say, um, you know, what I'm most proud of of this course is it's in, in the South, we have a dish called gumbo. And so gumbo is technically a soup but it, it's a, it's a soul feel good, you know, item and it's comprised of whatever makes sense for you. And so to have a gumbo, you need a flour based roux, you need seafood and you need a few ancillary things. And so, you know, some people put crab in this gumbo, some people put crawfish, some people put um, shrimp, chicken, sausage. Some people put okra in their gumbo. I judge people who put okra, okra <laughs> does not belong in gumbo if you ask me, but hey, you know, and so what I've, what I've attempted to provide here is a framework, principles, philosophy, and then from there, you take what works for you. And so I'm not saying go to the gym and, and work out 
for 45 minutes and then do 30 minutes of cardio. You know, your physical movement for the day may be a yoga mat in front of YouTube, in front of your TV, right? So I talk about meditation and time with God and journaling. So your meditation, you know, my meditation time is five to seven minutes a day. Yours may be half an hour. And so, you know, when I'm providing to you are the ingredients for your gumbo. You make your gumbo how you see fit. Got it. I love it. That's great. Well, it sounds like it's a brilliant course. And now, is it available yet? Or how do people learn more about this? Yeah, so, so it's live now. Um, it can be found on coachedcamcourses.com. Um, and then also there is, is the book. And then also I created uh, one of the biggest, one of the coolest things about COVID is the opportunity of time, right? So for folks like you and I who enjoy creating, you are already creating, but it's almost like I found the fifth gear or sixth gear, I guess, to create. So uh, about a month ago, I created a digital magazine. It's called Crown of Glory. It's complimentary. It's, it's no costs associated but just again a piece of work for me to contribute you know to the universe and so um grab crown and glory it's on coach camp courses as well uh we have i think a little over a thousand subscribers so far and it's just you know just a i call it a digital luxury lifestyle magazine it's just a cool thing that i see that I've aggregated from social media from the internet and kind of put it in one place but you know yeah i've enjoyed creating in this season um, I'm creating at a faster pace. I think I realize sometimes my, my team is like, hey, slow down. But, <laughs> you know, man, I think there's there's so much I think that we owe to our ecosystem to give. And so kind of going back to that, you know, that barista example or or the, the baker at, at, at you know, at, at Panera, like you owe it to us to create consistent pieces of art, whether that art is a croissant, whether that art is a book whether that art is, you know, you teaching, you know, formally in a school, teaching children, you know, we, we owe it to each other to bring the best art to the table to make our world a better place. Well, Coach Kim, you most certainly are an artist. You most certainly are a servant. And I really appreciate all that we've had the opportunity to talk about today. And I have, for our listeners, I've gone to coachcamcourses.com. I've looked at the magazine. It's terrific. And also, you have other courses that you offer on your website. You'll also see some really great and in-depth reading list of books that you suggest and have read on your own that help kind of get you and help you navigate this territory you've been over in the past five years. And you have a, um, I don't know what I call it, a quiz or kind of a intake survey that people can take on your website and get an idea of where they stand in certain areas of their life to get them started. So there's a lot of resources that you can get your arms or your hands on by going to Coach Cam's website. So please do that. I'll put all the information as far as your Instagram, Facebook, website in the show notes so people can navigate through all of those different opportunities to be in touch with you if they'd like to learn more. And um, Run out there and take advantage of this e-course, uh, Win the First Quarter of Your Day, the Playbook for Wealth, Health, and Success. Before we finish today, Coach Cam, is there something I should have asked you, but I just didn't know enough to ask you? Um, so first off, I enjoyed this conversation so much. Um, you know, I think that if there was a question left to ask, uh, it would be, what's next? Um, and so as a creator, you know, I'm, I'm working on my next book, uh, 56 Letters to Help You Along Your Merry Little Way. And so I'll give you kind of a snippet of that. 
um, I'm a big music fan. I, I enjoy music. It is, you know, uh, no pun intended, like it's built the soundtrack of my life. And so I pull from all these different references. So one of my favorite artists, his name is Bobby Womack. He passed away, but uh, he, he had a line in one of his songs and he says that, you know, the reason I talk in between my music is sometimes I may say something to help you along your merry little way. And so I'm in a process now of writing 56 letters to different people in my life, um, from the best boss I've ever had to the worst boss I ever had to um, previous relationships. I have a series, I have a stack of letters that I've written to my father, a stack of letters I've written to my mother. Um, I have a letter that I've written to my deceased aunt who passed away unexpectedly from cancer. Um, and so the purpose of it is, 56 letters, and it's a relationship book, but 56 letters to people in my life that we all have. So we all have the person who's left our life unexpectedly. We all have the relationship that maybe we didn't um, nourish and we appreciate it, we miss now. We all have the friend who's a better friend to us than we are to them. We all have, you know, for me, the boss who was such a bad boss that they helped me become a really good boss, right? And so... And so we all have these relationships in life. And what this book is intended to be is just um, when you're stuck, when you're at a loss for words, when you don't know how to cope, how to move forward, here's a letter to you. And so um, I'm writing those now and I'm really excited about the way I'm gonna get that out. So instead of doing a traditional book, a digital book or a physical a book, I'm actually going to put it on Apple Music, Spotify and a handful of other music platforms so it's it can be streamed for free at no cost and just kind of help you 56 letters to help you along your merry little way good for you i'm curious you've you're in the process of writing these letters now and uh, you're going to present them in a way that i think is brilliant through um through uh is it itunes did you say that you're going to present the they can down they can stream them uh, are you going to actually, to the folks who are still living, mail these letters and get them in the hands of the people you've written them to? Yes. So uh, for, those, for, for those who are deceased, um, I'll get them to their next of kin or, or the person who makes it, you know, the, the closest sense to, to share them with. But for the folks who are living, um, I'm in the process. So, so I'll give you some insight. So the letters to my father are, are, are a stack, a kind of a stanza of, you know, thank you for teaching me how to work hard, right? So in, in the space of the stereotypical large black man where there's a disproportionate assumption that we're lazy people, I got my work ethic from you. And I'm so thankful. There were times when, you know, I missed you going to school because you were already at work. And I missed you coming home because I was sleeping. You were still at work. Like, thank you. But then the second layer in that stack is, you know, really unpacking our relationship now and, and why it isn't as strong as it should be or as strong as it could be and how I've come to terms with different parts of our relationship that are, you know, that are kind of tough to kind of to kind of sit through and work through, especially as a father myself. Um, and, but then the last stack is, you know, you did a, a good job as a provider. You did an okay job as a dad. You're a rock star grandpa. I don't know how my dad did it, but I mean, he is such a good grandfather. <laughs> And so like, these are three individual letters that I plan on like mailing to my father and saying like, you know, 
here, like this, you need to know this. I need to share this with you. And so again, the purpose of, you know, even publishing these letters out loud or publishing them from an external standpoint is, you know, there's been times in my relationship with my father where I didn't have the words to express how I felt, why I felt, <clears throat> and, or I didn't have the courage to put those words in, in the air, either verbally or on paper. Well, here's a resource for you to help you along your marriage a little way because it may not be your father, it may be a sibling, it may be a cousin, it may be someone else in your life. But, you know, if I can help you by being transparent about mine, maybe I can help you. Very good. Well, when you're finished with that and that book's uh, ready to go out onto the airways, we'll jump on and have another conversation. You are a gem of a human being and I really do appreciate you spending time today. Everybody, please visit coachcamcourses.com. You can learn about the online course, Win the First Quarter of Your Day, the playbook for wealth, health, and success. I think everybody listening ought to take advantage of this opportunity to go learn all the things that Coach Cam is sharing through this six-module uh, course. I know I'm going to check it out. And until we talk to you all again, have a great day. That's a wrap on this episode of the Badass Soul Seeking Warrior podcast, where we focus on creating a life that we love. And until we meet again, stay true and be you.